future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Yes, Ross says, yes, the storm is coming. The storm, that's it. The storm is a coming. Yes, we are under severe thunderstorm warning and potential tornado watch. So if everything goes black, everybody, you know what's going on. I'll let you know of the okay in the aftermath. Yes, it is Monday, August 7th, 2023. Welcome Raging Chickens out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, or troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. And you can join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Look, you can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Check us out at patreon.com slash rcpress, where you get some extra little special content, right? And you can help support this show. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash the subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. Leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. Yeah, we're kind of messing around with our Discord again, everybody. So uh, be looking forward to that. Um, yes, I uh, did some, uh, as you know, uh, we didn't have a show this past Friday because I needed a tech day. And this is one of the things that I was working on, but a whole bunch of other stuff, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your live streams. And you make sure you subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a new light on the right-wing extremist current streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests to provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check the podcast out at buckscountybeacon.podbean.com, or you can pick it up wherever you get your podcast. Got a new episode coming out in just a couple days. I think you're going to like it. Check it out. And for all you gamers out there, the Game In, that's with two N's, the Game In is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. They got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. You got to check it out. Check them out on their Facebook page or follow them on Twitter at, at The Game In. If you got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. 
A special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter. That's X at, at Man. That's with two N's at Man on Twitter. We can't let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing and supporting local and statewide progressive candidates and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on tonight's show, like I said, it is a Monday politics roundup. Yep. Had to take a tech day this past Friday, so I uh, thought we'd take a little bit of peek back on last week and kind of what's happening today, even for that matter. Uh, we're getting close to some critical elections this fall, and the 2024 presidential elections are heating up. And of course, our planet is heating up. Uh, so much is going on. So much is going on. So tonight, maybe we'll get into the fact that, you know, Trump is seeking to narrow rules and what he can do with evidence that his lawyers receive as part of his criminal case on, a, you know, the election interference one. Yeah, so in other words, he basically wants to be able to target people and intimidate potential witnesses, among other things. There you go. Biden's stu- student debt relief plan for students who are victims of fraud by for-profit colleges? Yep, blocked in a federal court. Blocked in a federal court. Students have been defrauded and whatever. The Florida Department of Education has effectively banned the advanced placement course in psychology because of the state's new law prohibiting discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, that doesn't matter. What do those kids need that for anyways? Extra college credits. They want them to be learning too much. And this one's been wrecking me all week. Right-wing think tanks and corporate lobbyists have been uh, have already written their blueprint to undercut action on the climate crisis. Yep, it's called Project 2025. We'll chat about it. And look, don't be fooled about claims that a new law will keep kids safe online. COSA, K-O-S-A, the Kids Online Safety Act, is a bipartisan bill that purports to clamp down on big tech and protect kids. However, the bill could do a lot more than that and even the opposite of that. Um, We'll talk a little bit about this, and I'm going to try to get somebody on the show to talk about this because, well, I'll I'll say more about it during the show because we really need to be thinking about this and understanding what this is all about. And the D&D community is up in arms again against Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast after they found out that some of the art for the new source book Big B presents Glory of the Giants. Yep, some of the art from that was AI generated. Yep. 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 Well, there's that, and there's so much more. I'd love to hear what's on your mind. So here we go. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you for tuning in tonight. I know the uh, weather in Southeast Pennsylvania, and for, for that matter, from across the uh, the Commonwealth, uh, uh, I mean, God, for hundreds and hundreds of miles kind of uh, to the south of us and so on is under a severe storm watch. Um, Ross uh, was saying storm, exclamation point, exclamation point. So I guess the storm may already be raging. I can't quite hear it right now because I've got my headphones on. Um, so uh, we'll risk destroying the rest of my uh, <laughs> of my studio uh, by kind of running the show. We shall see. So, uh Basically, uh, yeah, so I apologize again about the really kind of short notice that um, about canceling Friday's this past Friday show. Uh, but I had to take a little bit of a tech day to try to get some, my handle a handle on some things. As, as you know, I've been listening to the show for a bit. 
Um, uh, about a week and a half ago, I had my my mixer. It's a it's called a road a Rodecaster Pro, right? So it's basically it's designed for podcasting, right? It's a it's a fantastic piece of equipment. I absolutely love it. It allows you to have you know all your music drops and everything in one space. Um, you can funnel everything into it. Works just like a mixer, except it's even easier to use or it's built more towards podcast. Anyways. Um, this is something I've been saving up for uh, a while to get. I finally kind of decided to take the plunge this past uh, January, I guess, is when I got it. Got a good deal on it, um, you know, after Christmas sales kind of thing. And uh, it's been fantastic. I've loved it. I mean, it's been great. And then I went to do my podcast, not this past Friday, but the Friday before. And I think it was then. And literally came down to my computer to get everything to start working up, and it would just not turn on. No, like not nothing just like not that it didn't work it just did i mean not that it didn't kind of go on and something went no it just would not even turn on i went through everything that you do when something like that um happens unplug everything plug it all back in check all the stuff um i, I have no idea no idea what happened uh, my computer was off right so it wasn't like my computer was on we actually have in our house we've got these uh uh, what do you call it? Surge protectors that are not, I mean, my computer and all that stuff is in surge protectors, but we also got a household one. So I don't think it could have been a storm or something like it. Just, it's just baffling to me. So anyways, um, that caused like a series of like a, like a cascading <laughs> series of like technological problems, uh, including my mics, the way my mics were set up. Um, then I got a new mic and, uh, but the new mic is a USB mic and it's not a kind of, th and so that just causes, you know, throws off the sound, throws off the, how the sound feeds in all this other kinds of stuff. Right. So, um, be as it made. So I just, I, and then Friday, I, I just, I had to get something straight. I had, if you remember, if you listened to the show a couple of weeks back, uh, we had this issue with echoes and the, the levels were not so great. I still don't know if the levels are good now. I think, uh, Ross may have had to take shelter from the storm uh, right now. So I don't know if he's still there or not. Um, I'm actually, you know what, I should just take a quick peek and just make sure that I'm not going to get hit by a tornado while I'm trying to broadcast here. So, uh, we did just get a, uh, severe storm warning right before we went on air. So I should, uh, definitely check it out. Let me see. Oh, great. There's eight warnings right now. Uh, dangerous thunderstorm alert, severe thunderstorm warning, tornado watch. There's no tornado warning yet. Uh, if there's a tornado warning, I might have to uh, cut the broad broadcast a little short. Um, and if I start seeing lights flicker on and off, probably have to cut it short too as well as, you know. Okay, so let's just get into a kind of a few things tonight. We'll, uh, we'll kind of blow it through. Um, if there's people, I, I mean, I've got just a few things to start off with, given the way the storm is and stuff. If it's... Uh, Nobody else is, uh, if everyone's sheltering in place, as it were, uh, then then we can uh, we'll do a little rather short show tonight. But if there are folks out there listening, you got stuff on your mind, things that are going on, things that um, are happening in your community, things that you think uh, we should focus on, you want to talk about, I would love to hear from you. So um, love to hear what, what you got going on. Um, so there. So, of course, you know, I mean, this has been all over the news of late, right? Of course, new indictments have come down on uh, with Trump. Um, and, you know, there's this back and forth right now, which is, I think, you know, significant, right? The back and forth is that, um, basically there's, you know, rules, right? If you're in a court case, right? Especially if you start kind of, you know, um, handling evidence, right? You're passing over it. A lot of the evidence in this case, um, that we're, 
um, uh, especially the election interference plays, uh, attempts to defraud the federal government, all that kind of stuff. Conspiracy to defraud the federal government, um, the election interference, um, that, that major case. A lot of the uh, sources are going to be sensitive, right? There's going to be... Um, um, you got privacy issues, you have uh, security issues, you have a whole bunch of that kind of stuff. And so Trump's legal team basically wants uh, more narrow rules um, than what the prosecutors want or even what the judge was saying about what he can do with evidence, right? But the big concern here is that Trump has shown in the past, Trump and his people have shown in the past that he's willing to use uh, intimidation as a way to intimidate witnesses uh, of kind of messing with their testimony, of attempting to, you know, get out in front and discredit a witness, right, with lies um, ahead of their testimony, which basically, you know, has you potential ways of, say, corrupting the way that the trial works. Um, so that's the issue, right? So, you know, they're looking to uh, narrow those rules. Now, however, when you come right down to it, really what the long game is, you know, um, and if you, you know, if any of you listen to the majority report as well as I do, uh, what Sam Cedar and um, and um, Emma Viglin have, uh, have been talking about on the show, which is exactly right, right? I mean, what, what Trump is going to try to do, he's going to try to stall. Um, he's going to try to stall and... Um, attempt to use whatever he can from this case as a way of bolstering his um, electoral prospects, right? With the idea that he's elected president, then he's not going to have to go to jail, right? Because, you know, look, every, like, whether you're, we have, the people who are running for president right now are all olds, right? I mean, they're all people, you know, whether Joe Biden, um, Donald Trump, the two main, you know, main folks who are current president and potential uh, Republican nominee are all very old. And um, if Trump is convicted even on a, like one or two of these charges, he, that could potentially mean and he has to do jail time. That could mean he spends less of his less the rest of his life behind bars. Right. So that's kind of where I think some where some of the stuff is ramping up. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it's we shouldn't be surprised by any of this um, should be completely expected. And um, Jack Smith, you know, um, from what uh, what I've seen, what I'm sure you've seen thus far, um, is not playing into Trump's hand. He's just not he's not playing that game. Um, he's not taking the bait um, and which is I think is working fairly effective here. Um, but we're, we're going to see what happens uh, from here on out. Right. So. This is becoming increasingly important because uh, Trump has just posted like a meme to his uh, X account or his Twitter account. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, not his, uh, not his, uh, not a meme. He's posted to True Social, I should say, because I mean, I don't know what I'm thinking about. Um, that basically, you know, you come at basically saying you come after us, we're going to come after you. Right. And. I don't know what else you, how else you want to take that. I mean, if Trump is going to come out and he's basically going to say that we need to, uh, that I'm going to go after you if you testify against me, um, that's already showing you that what's at stake here is election interference and intimidation of witnesses. So um, that be as that may. But like I said, I mean, I thought that deserved to have mentioned here, but I'm not going to get into all the legal, you know, the aspects and the back and forth around the Trump thing for the reasons that I've stated before is because right now there's not a whole lot um, 
that it seems requires organizing around. Yes, paying attention to find what goes on. The stakes could not be higher. There's no doubt about this, right? Um, but it is, you know, it is in within the, the legal system. And frankly, like I've said before, um, do what I do. If you want to know what's happened in the Trump campaign, just turn on MSNBC sometime after five. And then you will get wall-to-wall coverage of everything about the Trump trial nonstop, right? Um, so, or Trump trials, I should say, because there's multiple ones, right? Because he's a freaking crooked son of a bitch. That's why. Um, more kind of, you know, what's been disturbing to me is to see once away what's been happening in the courts, and particularly when we're talking about the student debt relief. Now, we know that the, the last student um, debt plan was actually shot down um, by the Supreme Court. And now we've got another federal court um, just today, right, blocked a, another um, attempt by the Biden administration to forgive um, some student loan debt. Now, this is more narrow than um, the previous debt relief program, which would basically target um you know, borrowers who made like a, under $125,000 a year, I believe, family under $125,000 a year, um, and would forgive up to $10,000 um, of student loan debt. Um, and if you were also had Pell Grants, that you may be up to $20,000, depending on your qualification, right? So it was, even that was much more narrow than to say, hey, let's just take $10,000 off everybody's. It's much more narrow. That's the one that got shot down. This one was an attempt by the Biden administration to basically say, okay, look, We've already have a a, um, a a a bunch of students who were found to have been defrauded, right? These colleges, right, in particular these for-profit colleges, right, defrauded these students, right, basically claiming they were accredited institutions that were going to get the degrees or whatever, and then instead they got nothing. And they were pretty steep price, but the reason why these these organizations exist, these colleges, universities, for-profit colleges, universities existed, is because once they got their kind of quote unquote like official accreditation or rec recognition, they could qualify to take student loan money. So students got like you know whatever thousands of dollars a year to um, attend these classes. Um, that basically there's no overhead for half of these colleges. A lot of them are just online or most of them online or in just some kind of random building. They don't necessarily uh, employ um, uh, credentialed faculty and staff. A lot of them just kind of throw worksheets kind of thing out there at them and say, hey, you're on your own and collect all the money and take it for themselves. And so these, you know, colleges and student, uh, college universities, these for-profit ones who defrauded these students, you know, there were a series of court cases and they found that yes, indeed, these folks were, you know, these students were defrauded. Right. So I'll read this little piece from, um, um, I think I got the right part here. So uh, I meant, I thought I highlighted this stuff, but apparently did not. Um, so here, so the U S department of education or U S education department under president Joe Biden has worked to add, um, a pile of policies, including with its, uh, its own borrower defense to repayment rule through borrower defense to repayment or borrower defense for short students who have been defrauded by their schools, have their loans discharged. When the, the CCST, that is the uh, the Career Colleges and Schools of Texas, right? One of these ones that was founded to kind of defraud students. Um, 
they're the ones who filed this lawsuit basically against this, um, you know, the repayment of stuff. When CCST filed its lawsuit early this year on behalf of more than 70 Texas institutions, it said that the Education Department's rule was created, quote, with a thumb on the scale to maximize the number of approved claims and ultimately further the administration's loan forgiveness agenda. All right. The federal law has long allowed the discharge of loans for borrowers who've been misled or defrauded by their colleges, but getting loans canceled has been arduous in many cases involving lawsuits against the federal government. Biden has been applying his authority incrementally in a settlement for a case that traces back to the Trump presidency known as Sweet versus Cardona. Biden agreed to forgive $6 billion in debt relief for nearly 300,000 borrowers, for example. That relief is, ineffective, is not affected by Monday's injunction, right? But still, now that's going to be kind of part of the concern, right? The um, Biden administration also announced forgiveness of another 7,400 defrauded students in Colorado. Right. So there's been these little things that have been going on. But this latest one, you see like another attempts by the courts to say that, no, or, you know, the federal government has no role in protecting defrauded students. Right. Even though if they've taken out these loans, even if they were kind of like the fraud that the federal government can't come in and say, no, you know what? You don't you, you were wronged. You were you were robbed, basically. And we're not going to basically make you pay for your own like your, your own victimhood. Right. Because you were robbed, we're not going to pay. You're not going to have to pay to get your stuff back. You know, it's basically saying, hey, oh, look, these people took like, you know, $100,000 of your money, right? And we know they got the money, right? Because it's sitting right there in the bank account. But you know what? You're still going to be responsible for those loans, right? They get to keep the money, right? Or the money goes someplace, right? They get to keep it over there, right? And yes, you won your law case and you get, and you get some, you know, some restitution or something like this, but they're going to keep your money. And you're, not, you're still going to have those loans hanging over your head. That's so messed up. That's so messed up. So you gotta you gotta look at this. I mean, this is like one of these these perfect examples, like where the government can do good, right? And you have because of a whatever a 30, 40 year process where the 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 right wing Republicans, Republican Party, let's just say Republican Party, because that's what they are now, the Republican Party has basically had a a single mission to stack the courts with their people. Right. They trained them through the Federal Society and other kind of legal arms. They developed their institutions to train lawyers. They put they put together pipelines that would take them through those institutions and um, through those institutions toward the, um, the key courts. And now they're basically control the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary. Now, Biden has done a ton to begin to turn that around. Right. I mean, the Biden administration has appointed like a, a significant number of federal judges. Thank God. But we're still living with the effects of all the judges that were appointed by Trump, for example, um, not to mention the three, three Supreme Court justices, which is, you know, the reason why Roe was overturned and the reason why we keep on seeing these kind of the rolling back of accountability for corporations, all this kind of stuff. So there you go. And if you look at, you know, it's not just this, right? You know, we, we talk about these, you know, these Christian nationalist plans to take over the, you know, the seven mountains, right? These different kind of um, key aspects of this. And education is one of them, right? Florida. I mean, have you seen this one? Right? Have you seen this? I mean, this was, I mean, this was, you know, this, this happened last week. Um, we were going to talk about last Friday. We didn't. But just read a little bit of this for you and, uh, and just kind of lay it out. Because this is, according to Reuters, like Florida has told school superintendents and an that an advanced placement psychology course offered to high school students violates a new state law prohibiting instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity. 
the nonprofit that develops the course said on Thursday. Quote, the Florida Department of Education has effectively banned AP psychology in the state, unquote, the College Board said in a statement referring to its guidance. The move is the latest by the administration, this is in Florida, um, of Republican Governor Ron DeSantis to limit um, instruction about LGBTQ issues in, in, and race in the state. DeSantis is challenging former U.S. Pre- US President Donald Trump and Republican nominee, blah, 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 has made battles over culture issues the centerpiece of this. Florida this year banned new, uh, a new AP African-American studies course, saying it lacked, quote, educational value and historical accuracy, unquote, and violated state law on race, uh, how race can be taught in public classrooms. Remember, one of the guys who was down there consulting Florida, the DeSantis folks, Department of Education, on which ones of these courses to flag and to ban was none other than Jordan Adams of Vermilion Education. Vermilion Education, the ones that were just hired by the Penbridge School Board in order to rewrite the social studies curriculum and the English curriculum, literature curriculum of the Penbridge School District. As of today, there is still not a social studies curriculum for the incoming high school students in Penridge. And school starts in three weeks. If you're Just imagine if you're a teacher right now. Or just imagine that you're the teacher who has been teaching AP psychology or AP African, or the new AP and African-American studies. And you had these two classes, right? Which you teach this so, and students can take it. They could work their, they work their tails off and they get college credit for it. And therefore reduces their cost of college allows them to, you know, gives them a little bit of wiggle room in their schedule in case they have a, a, like a difficult semester so that they don't have to take extra classes, you know? Um, they get a head start on some other stuff. Maybe they want to get involved with things in college, right? This reduces their cost, right? Gives them that little bump into college. But no, we're taking away two more options for those students in the state, which is precisely what's you know, the plan is nationwide. So we'll keep on following that. One of the things that's there's two the, the, the next two things I want to talk about are the ones that um, that I've been really thinking a lot about and paying a lot of attention to. Um, and frankly, I'm just I'm just going to have to keep on reading about it so I can really get my wrap my head around it. Now, I want to I want to say to you right off the top of the bat um, that well here let me say this. So this is from Climate Wire, right? Um, and it says conservatives have already written a climate plan for Trump's second term. All right. And I want to read you the first few paragraphs here. Conservative groups have crafted a plan for demolishing the federal government's efforts to counter climate change. And it wouldn't stop with President Joe Biden's policies. Okay. The 920 page blueprint, whose hundreds of authors include former Trump administration officials, would go far beyond past GOP efforts to slash environmental agencies' budgets or oust, quote-unquote, deep state employees. Called Project 2025, it would, now this is the key, it would block the expansion of the electrical grid for wind and solar energy. It would slash funding for the Environmental Protection Agency's Environmental Justice Office. It would shutter the Energy Department's Renewable Energy Offices. It would prevent states from adopting California's car pollution standards. And it would delegate more regulation of polluting industries to Republican state officials. This is the like, nope, we are not going to address climate change. This is the, we are going all in on fossil fuels and we're going to burn this planet down. 
because we, we, the rich, we, the masters of your world, will be fine. You will die, but we will be fine. And matter of fact, because the environment is going to hell, we need even more money to protect ourselves from all of you, from the future refugees, from your desire for air conditioning when we need it. It's like this. I mean, this is, you know, what's crazy about this is like this comes out, right? This gets this gets leaked when we find this out during a summer that has been ripped apart by climate crisis, climate catastrophes. It's remarkable. I mean, Will Bunch wrote an amazing piece on this. Okay. He wrote this. Uh, let me see if I, I thought I had it up. Will Bunch. Oops, 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 oops. Let me pull this. Let me pull it. Here it is. Yeah, I did have it up. So Will Bunch wrote a piece exactly on this, right? And he says in, in Will Bunch's classic thing, I'll just read a little bit from his stuff. This came out, what did he, when did he publish this? This came out, oh, July 30th. So it's been out for a bit. So you may have already seen this. Here it is. He says, while you were turning up the air conditioning to find an open city pool, right, because a bunch of them have been closed, the brain trust of the conservative movement, including key officials of Donald Trump's disastrous 2017 to 2021 presidency, were spending... $22 million to craft a 950-page plan called Project 2025. That, among other things, is a blueprint for unconditional surrender in the war on climate. The scheme drafted by the Heritage Foundation and other think tanks have that have guided the GOP administration since Ronald Reagan wouldn't just halt the desperately needed transition to clean energy and electric cars, but restore the unchecked hegemony of burning fossil fuels. Given 2023's unmistakable jolts of an already here planetary crisis from Antarctica to Sicily to Phoenix, Project 2025 sounds utterly insane for those of us living in the hotter reality-based world. But here's some specifics. Blocking the expansion of the electrical grid to accommodate clean energy sources like wind and solar. Eliminating three offices within the Department of Energy promoting the renewable power transition. Wiping out funding for the environmental justice work in the U.S. Department of Environmental Protection. Massive growth of the natural gas infrastructure, such as pipelines. Ensuring that no other state wins, uh, states win approval for the kind of strict electric car guidelines being implemented in California. The EPA and other key agencies would be radically downsized and placed under the care of right-wing pro-fossil fuel zealots. It even includes restrictions on new scientific research. The 350 or so ultra-conservative thinkers and activists who've been toiling in the quiet obscurity on Project 2025 and hope to implement it in the first 100 days of a Republican presidency beginning January 20th, 2025, are a rogues gallery of formal Trump's officials and big oil fanatics. They are advocates like Bernard 
Oh, sorry, Bernard McNamee, who's um, POTUS 45, who POTUS Trump, had named to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission after a stint at the Texas Public Policy uh, Foundation, a think tank opposing climate action as an advisor to Senator Ted Cruz. And these conservatives, and this is the part that's key, and these conservatives behind Project 2025 are not shy about touting the radical reactionary nature of their environmental blueprint. Here they are. Quote, Project 2025 is not a white paper. We are not tinkering at the edges. We are writing a battle plan and we are marshalling our forces. Unquote. Paul Dans, the Project 2025 director of the Heritage Foundation, told Politico's E&E News. Quote, never before has the whole conservative movement banded together to systematically prepare to take power day one and demonstrate deconstruct the administrative state. You get that? And he concludes this, right? And he talks about also Biden talks about here about kind of, you know, Biden's kind of lukewarm access, a work lukewarm action on on climate. I was like, yes, I mean, we could talk about all the reasons why that, you know, the better policies didn't get through. We could talk about the kind of sellouts, the quote unquote sellouts in the Democratic Party. Like, you know, I don't even want to give them the names now. Um, but. Here's, here's, here's how he concludes. This didn't seem possible, but awareness of Project 2025 should dramatically raise the stakes for November, uh, for November 2024. Not only is the future of U.S. democracy on the ballot, but also the very future of the planet, given American centrality in reducing global carbon pollution. Barring unseen events, the choice will be between Biden, who believes climate change is real and that government action can help, and the nihilistic greed of the Heritage Foundation and Team Trump. Doomerism cannot be an option, and neither is getting used to it. The extreme right has it, has its battle plan for 2025. Does planet Earth have an army to fight back? And there you have it. That's it right there. So pretty crazy. So that's something. We're going to be talking about that more in the coming weeks. Okay? The second thing that we're also going to be talking about in the coming weeks is this um, this piece of legislation that's called COSA. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's called the Kids Online Safety Act. And I wanna, I wanna, give, my, I wanna give my own kids credit for this because they brought this to me. My son was the first to bring it to me, then my daughter was talking about it too as well um, because you know they're in, they're in this online world, right? This is a gamer, right? You know, my daughter plays a lot of games and kind of kind of connected into all YouTube culture and all this stuff. So people are talking about it. And when they first told me about it, like, you know, my son said, hey, did you hear about this COSA? Like COSA? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right? And he said, it's something you might be want to check into. You might be interested in, right? So I said, oh, okay, I'll check it out. Um, And it's called the Kids Online Safety Act, right? And initially, this thing sounds, you know, like, be frank with you, it sounds like a good thing, right? When you first read it, right? I want to see if I can give you the, uh, 
let's see i don't want this part of it i want the past one the bill i want the overview ah oh here you go i had it on the text i just want the summary so this is the official summary of of cosa like the kids online safety act um in the you know on the congressional record it says this bill sets out requirements to protect minors from online harms the requirements apply to covered platforms which are applications or services as social networks that connect to the internet and are likely to be used by minors however the bill exempts internet service providers email services educational institutions and other specified entities from the requirements covered platforms must act in the best interest of minors using the applications or services including by mitigating harms that may arise from the use so like sexual exploitation exploitation or online bullying Additional covered platforms must provide one, minors or their parents or guardians with certain safeguards, such as settings that restrict access to minors' personal data, and two, parents or guardians with tools to supervise minors' use of the platform, such as control, privacy, or account settings. Covered platforms must also, quote, say, disclose specified information, including details regarding the use of personal recommendation systems and targeted advertising, allow parents, guardians, minors, and schools to report certain harms, refrain from facilitating advertising of age-restricted products or services, tobacco, gambling, and minors, and so on, or annually report on foreseeable risks of harm to minors using the platform. The bill provides for the um, enforcement through the Federal Trade Commission in the states. Further, the bill establishes a program to facilitate relative independent research for non-commercial purposes and to counsel to advise an implementation of the bill. It also requires guidance for market and product research focused on minors and the evaluation of options to verify a user's age. Okay, now as a parent who worries about their kids like online safety, right, we talked Quite a, quite a bit about it in our household, right? You see something like this and you know the ways in which Facebook, Twitter, X, right? All the social platforms, Instagram, Snapchat, right? All of them, TikTok, all of them, right? Are the only thing that they care about is reaping our data and our use of these things for their own gain and profit, right? That's it. And we know, right, that given their drive toward profit, right? And utilizing their algorithms to squeeze all more profit out of our data. That is, has led to creating these horrific echo chambers, right? That have helped fan the flames for the rise of extremism, right? We know that that's true. We know that online forums and online spaces right, have exacerbated things like like child exploitation, right, have exacerbated things like body image, right, I mean, problems with body image and the way that they cultivate this stuff, right, because it's always feeding back, it's always feeding back what it says that you want to see, right, but really what that means, it's not what you want to see, right, it's the kind of thing that it was going to feed back to you, it's going to keep you on the platform, Right. And there's tons of research around how that how destructive it has been, how destructive it has been to our democracy, our discourse, our bodies, our lives. Right. Our politics, everything. Right. How it spreads mis and disinformation, all this stuff. Right. So I want to kind of like stipulate that up front. All those things are real. All those things are significant problems. And all of those things are rooted into the kind of like the unbridled profit seeking motivation of Silicon Valley and its associated enterprises, right? And I said, it's facilitated, it's not caused, 
It's facilitated by that, right? It builds on this. Okay. So if I, I'm concerned about all those things. I imagine that a lot of you who are listening to this right now also have these concerns, right? So you see this and it's like, oh, and because we are in this highly polarized world, like you look at it, you're like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but, but well, wait, 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 who's, who's doing this? And you notice that, oh, it's being introduced by a Democrat, Senator Blumenthal, Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. You know, he's, he's a moderate guy, you know, whatever, big pro-corporate in many ways. You know, he's uh, he's on the, uh, you know, on the Senate, you know, Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee. And, and so, OK, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go through it. OK, and made out a committee and actually got some uh, got some co-sponsors, we got 43 co-sponsors, right? Like Democrats, like like Senator, uh, like what is it? Uh, hold on, like uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin, right? Kind of pretty good name. Senator Amy Klobuchar, right? Uh, who else? Who we got? Uh, Senator Mark Warner, right? Christopher Coons, right? So you see these names on there, and you see there's these because Dick Durbin's on there, Bob Casey from Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. This must be a good thing, right? Oh, and you know, not only are there a lot of Democrats on this, but there's a whole bunch of Republicans like Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, right? Shelley Caputo of West Virginia. Huh? Bill Cassidy from Louisiana. Some of these are pretty conservative folks, right? Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham is on this one too, as well. Chuck Grassley. Holy crap. Wow. Joe Manchin. Yeah. Who else we got? James Lankford, another Republican. Roger Wicker, Republican from Mississippi. So you look at this, right? And because we've been told, right, that that with the divisive culture and all this other kind of stuff, and we get pitted against each other. And so that if you have bipartisanship, that must mean it's good, correct? And especially if it's not, if the Democrats on here are not just like Joe Manchin, right? Or Kirsten Cinema. If it's a whole bunch of other Democrats, you're like, oh, okay, maybe the bill is good. Because look, most of us, that's how we read legislation, right? We reread legislation through like party affiliations and people who we associate with this stuff. So I, you know, my first gloss, the first thing that I did when I read some of this stuff and I read a little bit about the bill, I think it was in Politico was the first piece that I read on it. I was like, oh, huh. Well, this sounds kind of interesting. And then my son's like, yeah, yeah, but there's all these other concerns. And I'm like, well... I could imagine that there's going to be, you know, other people who are going to have things on it. And then I also looked at, huh, I noticed that the American Psychological Association was also um, speaking in defense of this bill. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. <clears throat> but then I dug into it a little bit. And it got pretty disturbing. And it got disturbing to me mostly because what it, it draws upon those things that we really matter to us if you're a parent or you just care about kids these things matter to you this is at the effective level these things matter you want to keep your kids safe from real harms that are out there right 
And then you've got this bill that seems to be responding to that. It feels like a relief. He's like, finally, because I can't keep up with it. Can you keep up with it? I mean, if you wanted to kind of ensure your kids' online safety, you either have to ban them from all this stuff or you have to be on them all the time. And guess what? Most of us have busy lives. We work, right? We can't do that. So to know that, oh my God, look, there's somebody looking out for us and it seems everybody's on the same page, this is great. It's not, right? That does not mean, and every single thing that I've read about this since, right? It's been very clear that everyone says, look, the goals here to put it here, a laudable, right? The goals, we're all on board with the goals. That's not the issue. The issue is what happens with this legislation. And so there's an article in the in the New Republic, right, by, let's see, uh, Melissa Gira-Grant. Okay, she's a columnist for them in here. So I, I want to read you a little bit from here. And then I want to, I, I want to, th- there's this, uh, this letter that really kind of like opened my eyes that I'll, I'll read for you in a second. But here's what she says. So after talking about what's supposed to what the bill is supposed to do, she says, the first thing you need to know about the latest bill in Congress meant to protect children on the Internet is that is that one of its co-sponsors has been waging this fight against tech platforms since the days of MySpace. This bill, the Kids Online Safety Act, or COSA, concerns children who were not yet born at the dawn of social media, whose parents could once have um, jockeyed the re- um, to remain in each other's top eight, while their own parents, in turn, may have sounded the alarm against newfound dangers such as email and camera phones. So in other words, right, the logic is coming from somebody like an old, okay? Um, COSA has been, has been kind of billed as a new way to protect kids from more pervasive and more dangerous internet. But in reality, COSA, but in reality, COSA hands powerful tools to the far right to further wage its war on kids, whether it's censoring education on racism or demonizing queer and trans youth. Meanwhile, Democrats who support COSA appear to either not have noticed or not minded. The bipartisan effort uh, has rather cannily uh, made use of the well-deserved criticism of unaccountable tech platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, etc., in order to rally support for increased surveillance and censorship. This is the important part. So last week, in a unanimous voice vote, the Senate Commerce Committee voted to bring COSA to the full Senate which will probably take up the bill when it returns in, in September. This is going to get folded into the presidential election stuff because it is ultimately connected with the culture wars. Okay? So here you go. As proposed, COSA would require online platforms to, quote, take reasonable measures, unquote, to, quote, prevent and mitigate harms to minors such as, quote, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, substance use disorders, and suicidal behaviors, unquote, along with, quote, patterns of use that indicate or encourage addiction-like behaviors, unquote, and physical violence, online bullying, harassment of the minor, and so on. State state attorneys generals would be the arbiters of alleged failures um, to prevent and mitigate such harms with the power to impose penalties on platforms. uh, And they would have that power um, to impose penalties and platforms. Such actions would would be initiated by the attorneys generals themselves if they feel that any resident of their state is, quote, threatened or adversely affected by the engagement of any person in a practice that violates this act, unquote. Some progressive supporters of COSA describe the bill as a way to protect kids from the harm platforms can cause. Yet, despite how it has been marketed, 
COSA is ultimately concerned with policing the content and conduct of internet users, not with addressing the relatively unaccountable power of the tech platforms themselves. In fact, COSA would put more power in the hands of platforms, which will continue to decide, and with no greater transparency or input from us, what kind of users and what kind of content are allowed. The standards that platforms will use to make such decisions will ultimately be set by a state attorney's general, not by the public, even if it's the public who will live with the results. Right. The article goes on. Right. Is a really important piece. And this is why I want to have somebody on and go see if I can get her on. If not, see if we can get who else on. <clears throat> if I can, let me just see if I can pull this up real quick. <clears throat> to go to go back to my little story of, of coming across COSA, right? Um, after I started poking around, literally I sat like with my daughter, she and I started like looking stuff up, right? We started, well, let's see what else is out there. And I said, huh, well, look, the American Psychological Association seems to be on board with this COSA thing. And they said some interesting stuff. So, hmm, that's good. And she was like, oh, okay. And then we come across this piece. It's, um, it is written to uh, dear majority. It's a dear majority leader Schumer, chairwoman Cantel, and ranking member Wicker. This is and it's called uh, opposition to S thirty six sixty three. That's the threat to minors' privacy and safety online. This is a piece that came out in. I, I should be. I should have said this right from the top. I'm sorry. Back in November twenty twenty eight, November November twenty eight twenty twenty two. Okay. This, um, the threats to min minors' privacy and safety online, this was the first version of COSA, right? Um, and some of the, well, the vast majority of people who are on this letter end up saying the same thing letter, uh, same thing um, later. Um, they, here's what's it. <clears throat> Give you an example of why they're, I'll, I'll just, I'll read you the first two paragraphs and we'll talk a little bit more about it. So he says, we, the undersigned organizations, believe that the privacy, online safety, and digital well-being of children should be protected. However, um, S3663, the Kids Online Safety Act, COSA, would undermine those goals for all people, but especially children, by effectively forcing providers to use invasive filtering and monitoring tools, jeopardize private and secure communications, incentivizing increased data collection on children and adults, and undermining the delivery of critical services to minors by public agencies like schools. We oppose this bill. COSA establishes a burdensome, vague duty of care to prevent harms to minors for a broad range of online services that are reasonably liked to be used by a, a person under the age of 17. While COSA's aims of preventing harassment, exploitation, and mental health trauma from minors are laudable, the legislation is unfortunately likely to have damaging unintended consequences for young people. COSA would require online services to prevent, quote-unquote, a set of harms to minors, which is effectively an instruction to employ broad content filtering to limit minors' access to create certain online content. Content filtering is notoriously imprecise. Filtering used by schools and libraries in response to the Children's Internet Protection Act has curtailed access to critical information such as sex education or resources for LGBTQ plus youth. Online services would face substantial pressure to over-moderate, including from the state attorneys general seeking to make political points about what kind of information is appropriate for young people. 
At a time when books with LGBTQ themes are being banned from school libraries and people providing health care to trans children are being falsely accused of quote-unquote grooming, COSA would cut off another vital avenue of access to information for vulnerable youth. COSA would also require platforms to enable parental supervisions of minors' use of their services, including controlling who the minor can communicate with and limiting minors' access to certain kinds of content. While parental control tools can be important safeguards for helping young children to navigate the Internet, COSA would cover other older minors as well and would have the practical effect of enabling parental surveillance of 15- and 16-year-olds older minors having their own independent rights to privacy and access to information, and not every parent-child dynamic is healthy or constructive. COSA risks, risks subjecting teens who are experiencing domestic violence and parental abuse to additional forms of digital surveillance that control and control that could prevent these vulnerable youth from reaching out for help and support. And by creating strong incentives to filter and enable parental control over the content minors can access, COSA would also jeopardize young people's access to end-to-end -end encrypted technologies, which they depend on to access resources to mental health and to keep their data safe from bad actors. There's a lot more. But this is what I want to set the stage for you a little bit here to please, please, please look into this. And just, I want to give you, a, I mean, a, a range, I can't read all of them, there's too many names. But for example, this is a letter that was signed on by um, Access Now, Advocacy for Principled Action in Government, Advocacies for Youth, Advocating Opportunity, American Association of School Librarians, American Civil Liberties Union, American Humanist Association, American Library Association, Black and Pink National, Center for Democracy and Technology, the Copia Institute, Defending Rights and Dissent, uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a whole bunch of equality organizations from a variety of different states, Fair Wisconsin, Fairness Campaign, Fight for the Future, Forge Incorporated, Free Speech Coalition, right? Um, Georgia Equality, GLAD, um, uh, uh, GLSEN, uh, the Human Trafficking Prevention Project, right? Uh, the the uh, Indivisible Bainbridge, a whole bunch of individual things. It goes on and on and on and on. You get my point, right? whole bunch of universities, a whole bunch of organizations, Yale Privacy Lab, right? The reason is, right, is that you think about it like this, and this is what I had to get my own head around, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it tonight. I had to get my own head around this because it's basically what it's saying is that you think about it like this, is that if you're basically saying, now I'm going to tell you different tech companies um, that you are now responsible for handling these, so handling these social ills, right? And that we're going to, we're going to, and if we find out that you're not, then you're going to be prosecuted for it. So you have to not only do these things, you have to prove to us that you're doing what you can, right? And those rules are going to be set by state attorneys general. And uh, as we know, as we see what's been happening since the fall of, uh, the fall of uh, Roe v. Wade, right? Those state attorney generals are in the service of right-wing agendas, right? So they're going to set these rules and they're going to be looking for a CRT. Look at, think about Florida right now, right? They're going to be a lot of CRT, LGBTQ content, any kind of thing, quote unquote, sexual that they want to kind of like clamp down on, women's rights, whoever, abortion services, anything that kind of deals with that stuff. And the attorneys generals are going to go to these tech companies and they're going to say, we need proof that those kids don't have access to this. The only way the tech companies can get that proof is to increase their monitoring and surveillance of kids, right? Because you have to, what is age verification, right? In order to use this, think about it like this, in order to access particular content, say you're, you're 15 years old or you're 16 years old, 
right? And you're kind of, and you know that you're that that you're kind of part of the LGBT community, right? You know that you are not like like you are not straight, <laughs> right? Right? <clears throat> you're gay, you're lesbian, you're transsexual, whatever it might be, right? And so you need to find out more. You want to, you, you, you know, the feeling, but you don't have the words yet. You don't have the community yet. So you want to reach out and you want to kind of like, like talk to the community. So in order to do that, you've got to get your, you've got to get your parents permission to access any of that kind of content. But turns out your parents are right-wing religious nuts who would send you to a freaking dungeon someplace if they found out that you had these thoughts. That's what they're talking about, right? And so again, this is like a really interesting case. I'm actually probably going to be using some of this in some of my classes coming up, like not this fall, but in, in the spring, just because this came up so late and I was being aware of it so late. So I need some time to like read more about it. But looking at, you have a whole set of very real issues here, right? And you have a piece of legislation which is attempting to do stuff, but there's all sorts of issues, uh, uh, problems that are associated with it. So my, my charge to you, right. Or my kind of suggestion to you is to, to please learn more about this. I will do whatever I can to bring someone on the show, um, to, to talk more about this so we can, we can dig into some of the details to help us understand this. Um, it's a complicated issue, right. Um, complicated in the sense that there's, 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 it's not this is not just like good versus evil here, right? This is, I, I, I believe that there are people on this bill and, and, and I believe that's true of some Republicans and Democrats on this bill. I believe that they, the, the, their intentions are the best. I do believe that some of them do that. I do think there's a whole bunch of them on this bill that are here because they think they're going to gain political points with it, right? And in that works out differently depending on where you are politically, about what kind of points you're gaining, right? <clears throat> But this is the, that's that's an important thing. So we're going to look into this. So um, just talking about COSA. <laughs> My daughter gave me the thumbs up. Um, so that's a good thing, I guess. Um, so that's good. So, yeah. So we'll talk more about that kind of coming up. Um, last thing I want to talk about tonight, just a little fun thing for me. Um, it's fun, but also kind of tells us a lot about our future. Um so this just, just I literally, this is like earlier today, this came up and I, I, or this came up in one of my feeds and I was looking at, I was like, oh, here we go. Um, so Dungeons and Dragons, as you know, has the, uh, the people who, who own Dungeons and Dragons, the franchise is a place called Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast had been bought out years ago by Hasbro, right? One of the biggest toy makers on the planet, right? And Hasbro, right? Seeing kind of like uh, blood, I mean, money in the water, um, during COVID, when there was this huge expansion of, um, of, of online role-playing games, in particular kind of Dungeons & Dragons, and see this kind of virtual boom of, of, uh, of new players, right? New generations, right? Incredibly diverse players now coming out. The, the, uh, the, the arrival of um, actual play live D&D games on, like on YouTube, right? I mean, and on Twitch and things like this. All that stuff. And so Hasbro is looking for ways to just maximize as much as, much as they can. So you remember not too long ago, um, there was a big controversy because they were attempting to change their um, their licensing agreement. Right. For the longest time, um, independent people were able to, you know, the, were able to kind of create independent content based upon the core rules of D&D. &D, right. It was kind of this this exchange. One thing that helped that the 
made the community incredibly vibrant, right? Because people were creating all sorts of stuff around it. And it's also the thing that fed into kind of more people playing the game, more people buying stuff from Dungeons and Dragons and so on. So, so Hasbro looked like it was going to try to clamp down on that. We're going to try to kind of reclaim it all as private property that blew up, blew up right in their face. They had to do this big apology tour. Um, then they eventually released the licensing to um, kind of like um, in the public domain and creative commons so that they could never do this again, right? So lots of good stuff kind of ended up coming out of that. There's still a lot of the problems since then. New gaming systems have been, been emerging as a result of that, right? So now we're not, we're not just a few months later, right? Here we are. And uh, this came out in Fortune magazine um, yesterday. So D&D fans are, this has turned off, but they were pissed off. But I, there was AI-generated art in a new book that is coming out. And then now because of the, again, the rise up of the community, right? Um, Hasbro, the, you know, our, our Wizards of the Coast decide to kind of, we're, we're banning um, the AI, right? In future things, right? Now we have no idea, like just, I'll read you a little bit about what, um, about Wizards of the Coast eventually said here, um, but we, you don't know, right? So <clears throat> let's see, where should I start this one? So, okay. So Hasbro owned D&D Beyond, right? Which is this online tool and other companion content for the franchise. So it didn't know until Saturday, that is past Saturday, that an illustrator it has worked with for nearly a decade used AI to create commissioned artwork for an upcoming book. The franchise that's run by Hasbro subsidiary Wizards of the Coast said in a statement that it has talked to that artist and is clarifying its rules. Quote, he will not use AI for Wizards work um, moving forward, unquote, said a post from D&D Beyond's account on X, formerly Twitter. <laughs> Quote, we are revising our process and updating our artist guidelines to make clear the artist must refrain from using AI art generation as part of their art creation process for developing D&D. Right. Hasbro Wizards of the Coast didn't respond to requests to further comment on Sunday, and Hasbro bought D&D, this was four years ago. It says, the art in question, uh, the art in question uh, is in a soon-to-be-released hardcover book of monster depiction, uh, descriptions and lore called uh, Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants. The digital and physical uh, version of the package is selling for $59.99, blah, 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 on, on the website, and so on. And it's set to be released next week on the, on the 15th. The use of AI tools to assist creative work has raised copyright and labor concerns in a number of industries, helping to fuel the Hollywood strike, causing music industry's recording academy to revise Grammy Awards protocols, and leading some visual artists uh, to sue AI companies for ingesting their work without their consent to build generators that anyone can use, right? So this is all that. So this is, you know, another example, right? <clears throat> so whether or not, the, you know, the artist, you, you know, the artist was upfront about this, whether or not Wizards actually knew about this ahead of time, they were looking for a way to kind of go do something on the cheap, we don't know, right? This could have been, you know, or, you know, for that matter, right? Um, there's, there's, I mean, if you've been following stuff, what's been happening with AI, there are uh, quite a few people that are arguing making the argument that this is part of an artistic process, right? You know, um, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't draw this kind of line between AI and uh, AI generated art and art, right? That um, what it means to be an artist, right? Can include AI as kind of particular dimensions, but that has yet to be worked out. Cause right now, 
right? AI is there to serve, you know, by, you know, to make it cheaper for big organizations, big corporations to um, maximize their profit from us at our expense, right? I mean, that's where it is now. And look, I've said this before. <clears throat> I am, I am literally fascinated by what AI can do. I am um, also deeply aware of how problematic it is as it stands, right? Problematic because one, as I just read in that article, is that is AI, the only way it can do what it can do is because it is sucking up our content, right? Our ideas, our posts, our art, our stories, our letters, everything that we generate online. And it's using all of that to generate, to kind of assemble, right? Now, again, let's be clear. All art, all literature, all communication is essentially built on a similar process, right? I mean, if I was to write a story, right, and I was to set it in kind of like a fantasy setting or something like this, I don't have to, I don't have to kind of create the genre of sci-fi fantasy, right? I don't have to create all its rules and all its background, the way those stories are told in order to write my book, right? No, I'm building on stories that have been there before. But there's also a line, you know, I, I, there's also copyright lines, right? Well, okay, building on something in broad themes is one thing, but right to appropriate somebody else's work and call it my own, that's a different thing, right? And there's been, you know, centuries worth of uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of development of rules and associations around all that kind of stuff. AI is, speeds all this stuff up, right? But essentially does the same thing. And it's not an individual that's doing it. It's a machine. And what happens when it's not a, more human beings who are building off this work? But we have a machine that's taking other human beings' work and then presenting it as something that is its own thing. Because who owns that then, right? And I have, like, right now, I was listening to an interview that was done on the Majority Report um, uh, a few days ago. I don't think I have that article up anymore, unfortunately. Oh, otherwise, I'll tell you what it was. But it was, uh, it was, uh, I was listening to the interview. It was really kind of interesting. It was on this kind of AI stuff. And the guy, he was at the uh, uh, Harvard School of, um, I don't know, I forget what it is, but he's based, based out of Harvard, like Freedom and Society or something like this, um, working on AI stuff, right? And um, co-wrote this article. One was a security specialist, specialist another one was a data analyst and um, kind of discussing stuff on AI. And, and in the interview, he makes the good point. Um, he's someone who's, say, AI can do incredible things. And he used the example of the tax code, right? He said, look, you have an AI... Right. You have an AI right now that or, or if it doesn't exist already, will be in the very, very near future. Right. Can basically suck up the entire U.S. tax code. Right. Or tax codes from everywhere, for that matter. 
and simply look for loopholes, right? How to get around paying taxes, right? What are the loopholes that exist in the tax code, right? Because it's just an algorithm, right? You have a complex, like enough of a algorithm. You ask it the right questions, you can get it to do this, <clears throat> right? And currently, because who has access to these tools, who uses these tools, who owns these tools, right? It is set up so that the rich and powerful will use this as a way to not pay their fair share of taxes and keep more of it for their own. That's how it's going to work. But he's saying, look, there should be a corresponding initiative on AI that's developed, that's developed out of public universities and the government. Not necessarily the same thing, right? But that is done for research purposes, that is done for objective research in the service of the public. And he used that same example. He said, so, for example, say you had a an AI that was for the people, so to speak, right? That could be deployed by lawmakers, by advocates, right? That was going to do the same thing with that tax code. Was going to find out the ways that rich folks and powerful folks were going to try to skirt the law through loopholes and was asked to identify what those loopholes are and how to close that, right? Or how to identify somebody when they've used that loophole, right? It could be a way of, say, countering this, right? Of actually developing more effective laws, right? That didn't allow these people to skirt away from their taxes. That was just an example that he gave that I caught from that interview. And that just, you know, got me think. So look, we're still at a very early stage of this stuff, right? But there's real issues. Um, but just to see that come up with, uh, you know, the, the latest D&D book was just, you know, was just really interesting to me. And I was um, happy then that I uh, I did not um, decide to buy that um, book. <laughs> Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants. I actually looked at it. I was like, kind of excited to say, oh, it was a new one's coming out. I'm going to go check it out. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, cool. The, the art was some of the art that I, I don't know if this was the AI generated stuff or not, um, but it was pretty cool. But I was like, yeah, you know, eh, it's not, well, it wasn't quite within my, my, yeah, it wasn't the kind of thing that I was, I was like, yeah, it could be maybe sometime I'm be interested in kind of the whole thing about the giants and stuff, but it's not really what my campaign is now or, you know, the, um, you know, the creation stuff I'm doing now is not based on it. So I'll like, oh, just leave it alone. So good. Well, anyways, everybody, I hope you uh, weathered the storm. Uh, if you were kind of in the storm-ridden areas, I have no idea what it's like outside or what it's like. I'm going to go check it out right now. Um, but for those of you who decided to tune in for at least for a little bit um, um, before you had to cut out or joined us late, uh, thank you so much for tuning in tonight and I look forward to uh, getting back on it soon. Um, I'll send something out in social medias this week about um, next week. So just so you know, there will be next week. That would be the week of uh, uh, August 14th, the 14th through the 18th. Uh, we're going to be we'll be vacationing. So we are I'm not going to be there will be no shows that week. Uh, if I can, I will put up some uh, special um, uh, kind of archive content or something like that. Um, um, that might be kind of cool to introduce. Um, but if not, just know that ahead of time, I'll put some announcements up. The other announcement is about the, this coming Friday, this coming Friday, most likely will not have a show. Um, and that's just, there's a whole bunch of moving parts this week that are just getting more and more difficult to balance. Um, so I might just, and given the fact that we're, you know, um, 
going to be visiting some family and things. I got to deal with <laughs> to, to figure out where I'm going to find all the time. Um, so, but I'll let you know about that just for coming up, but I appreciate everything that, um, you all have done. Appreciate everybody who's uh, been supporting us uh, from the early days, uh, whether you're supporting us by listening, by commenting, um, becoming a patron at uh, um, patreon.com slash RC press. Um, Y'all rock. I'm telling you. And um, I appreciate every single one of you. I have, um, I can't tell you what it means. Uh, have you part and, you know, to be part of this, uh, this community and this space with all of you. So thank you everybody. This has been uh, Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of raging chicken. Um, like I said, we may be here on Friday. Uh, we may not. If not, we'll see you on the flip side and we'll get ready for the battle of the school boards this coming fall. Check these, everybody. Stay safe. See ya!